American actor Lee Schreiber explains why he started an organization to help those affected by Russia's war on Ukraine. For us, the idea was really that we want to make it as easy as possible for people to support Ukraine. So whatever your issues are, you know, and, and, and I, you know, you talk to people and you find out, well, how do I know where my money's going? And uh, our answer to that was to get Ropes and Gray, which is a terrific firm in D.C. and all over the world, actually, um, to help us by offering their work pro bono to uh, vet and verify the groups that we were interested in working in. Plus the story of one businessman who donated his office to help refugees. From the Voice of America, this is a special presentation of Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Steve Miller. Lee Schreiber is a Hollywood actor, and some of his recent film credits include The French Dispatch and Spotlight, as well as the film X-Men Origins Wolverine. His maternal grandfather was also a Ukrainian Jewish immigrant to the United States. Schreiber recently started a group to provide support to grassroots organizations that are helping Ukrainians. And he tells VOA Ukrainian service reporter Tatiana Koprowitz over Zoom that after Russia invaded Ukraine, his friends were contacting him, asking how they could support the country, because they assumed that he had knowledge due to his ancestry. And that's why he decided to start the group, Blue Check Ukraine. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and my first question, uh, how much were you following Ukraine before Russian invasion? Not much. Um, I made a film about Ukraine in 2005, um, uh, I think like a lot of uh, uh, Americans who are interested in their ancestry, I knew that I had a grandfather from Ukraine and I, you know, he never told us anything about his history or his story. And so um, I wrote a script about a young American who, who goes to Ukraine to find out what it is to be Ukrainian. And I made that journey myself and had a really good time. I uh, spent some time in Kiev, spent some time in Odessa uh, and traveling around southern Ukraine, looking for uh, the village that my grandfather was supposed to be from and, and couldn't find it. But uh, uh, and then a, a, a dear friend of mine wrote a book uh, called Everything is Illuminated. And his book was uh, he actually wrote a short story that was in The New Yorker and I decided to try to adapt that short story to a film. Jonathan is traveling halfway around the world. You my translator? Forgive my speaking of English, Jonathan. As I'm not so premium with it. To search for the woman who saved his grandfather in World War II. That's my grandfather, Saffron. And this is Augustina? This is our driver. Please, do not be distressed. This is only driver seeing eye, bitch. Wait, he's blind? Only he thinks this. So that was really my context for Ukraine. I, I have some ancestry, but don't feel any awareness of it and wanted to know what it is to be Ukrainian. Or I had a, um, a great trip there and enjoyed filming there. And the people were very kind to me. And, uh, but I, I didn't think much of it. And then when the war broke out, um, all of my friends and colleagues uh, would call me um, because they wanted to know how to support Ukraine. 
and they, because they assumed I was Ukrainian, uh, that I would know. And I, I didn't have a good answer. And so for me, that was, um, you know, all, everybody was thinking, you know, UNICEF and Red Cross, of course, these big international charities. And I, I assumed that was the best way too. Um, uh, but then I spoke to some friends who know a lot more about humanitarian aid than I do. And um, we came up with uh, Blue Check. Um, the idea being that the people best suited to support the Ukrainians are the Ukrainians. Uh, your organization um, verify uh, the charities. So is there a lot of distrust to the charities? Or like how they spend the money? Is there coming from that? Um, no, I think, I think for us, the idea was really that we want to make it as easy as possible for people to support Ukraine. So whatever your issues are, you know, and, and, and I, you know, you talk to people and you find out, well, how do I know where my money's going? How do I know that that's a legitimate charity? How do I know that it's not uh, uh, going to black market or corruption or something like that? How do I know that there aren't huge administrative costs that the people who are uh, um, uh, running the charity are taking off the top? And uh, our answer to that was to get Ropes and Gray, which is a terrific firm in DC and all over the world, actually, um, to help us by offering their work pro bono to uh, vet and verify the groups that we were interested in working in, working with. And how does it work? So are they, you know, is it as expected? So you were able to verify a lot of uh, good charities? You know, I, I was fortunate enough to meet, um, uh, for instance, uh, Pavlo Shula and his, his wife, Olena, who... Um, were contracted by KidSave, which is a, a charity that we support and that we vetted. Um, and initially, Pavlo uh, was assigned to find, I think, something like 117 registered KidSave orphans. But since the time KidSave contracted him, Pavlo and his wife and his team, uh, uh, had, since then, I think they've rescued or uh, evacuated over 20,000 displaced women and children. So for me, that just proved that the people who are doing the work on the ground in Ukraine are Ukrainian. And so we just have to support them. They just need the resources. Um, I think sometimes when uh, people, uh, you know, the, some of these bigger international charities are, are, are global charities with uh, things that they are dealing with all over the world. We are exclusively Ukraine. All we do is Ukraine. And we also feel very strongly that the people who are going to be the most effective on the ground are the people who care the most. And the people who care the most are obviously Ukrainian. And what response do you find here? Are there a lot of, like, obviously, a lot of people you personally know? Are there a lot of people in film industry or any big names working with you, donating to Ukrainian charities? Yeah, there are. There is a huge uh, groundswell of support for Ukraine. At least that's what I felt in America. I mean, part of that is obvious from um, the the huge bipartisan support package that we just approved a couple of weeks ago. Um, people like uh, uh, Mila Kunis, the Ashton Kutcher, and, um, and there's, 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 there's hundreds of them that I think are kind of stepping up and um, uh, uh, um, making sure that we keep eyes on Ukraine. I think a big part of this, and uh, as you probably know better than anyone else, is that this may take a while. And so we have to keep 
focused and we have to we have to we have to stay on this you know what i mean we have to keep eyes on this and you know there's a lot of things happening in the world and um it's been a, it's a busy news cycle so we have to keep reminding people that this isn't going away and that we have to continue to support ukraine because i believe the values that are at stake and the values that the ukrainian people are fighting for are our values in a way as well and that um uh, a lot of the issues that we have in this country are 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 at stake you know um so it's just important every once in a while to refocus the camera uh, can you a little bit continue this thought you just started uh what i what i mean like we like for ukrainians we see ukrainian flags everywhere we see the support and at certain point it's it's at certain extent it's unprecedented you know there were other wars as well and we didn't see that much support why did it hit so hard i can't speak for anyone other than myself <laughs> but i can tell you that you know when i was sitting on the couch with my children watching the war develop and i saw these big middle-aged balding ukrainian men with cigarettes and kalashnikovs saying goodbye to their families and marching off to fight a a a a battle in which they were hugely outnumbered and hugely outgunned just so that they could have the right to vote for their leaders determine what language they wanted to speak and the liberties and freedoms that they wanted their children to have that they were willing to give their lives for that it felt to me very american and i i often you know being a grandson of a ukrainian immigrant i i kind of feel like america is a nation of grandchildren you know and i feel like we do owe a debt to wars that have already been fought this is this is in many that's why i think people are so alarmed about this because in our time that we should see a war like this because we've we fought this war before it's 100 days since the war began and you engage in fundraising efforts do you see a waning interest do you see people get ukraine fatigue i think it's just the nature of the 24 hour news cycle you know there've been huge benefits of that and huge downsides and i think when you're trying to fill 24 hours with news it has an effect on people's attention spans and so they forget what's really important they forget what's really at stake because they've moved on to the next thing so quickly but you know i don't think we can be we we should be bothered by that too much we just got to stay focused on what's important um and uh i think the this is important i was very impressed by those pictures from shamashal where you cooked in the world central kitchen with a huge this <laughs> a borscht for how many 1500 people yeah yeah can you tell like share your impression from that trip and also your trip to lviv as well i wanted to understand what was going on on the ground and 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 part what the effort was and world central kitchen is an extraordinary organization that believes that there is a profound connection between food and humanity and service um and so i started at world central kitchen and saw what they were doing and one of the things that it made really clear to me 
is that need um, is a fluid thing. It's a moving target. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's medical aid. Sometimes it's shelter. Sometimes it's mental health initiatives. And so that, that was part of how we developed the idea for Blue Check, that if we could create a portfolio of organizations with a diverse um, uh, list of services that they were providing, um, it, it would make more sense. Um, and, and so that, that was really where, I, I mean, first being in Shemshil and then going to the view and, um, and seeing what people were doing uh, was really powerful and, and, and really moving to me. Uh, it's always, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about silver linings and things like that. But one of the things that, you know, uh, conflicts like this, they bring out the best in us, best in us. And I, and I, and I you know, my, from my brief time in, in Ukraine, that was my sense was that it was bringing out the best in the Ukrainian people, that it was, it was, and, and that was something that we needed to support, that we needed, or at least that I needed to support, that I needed to be a part of. And I guess to some extent, as an actor and somebody, you know, who's in this perpetual identity crisis, I like that side of myself. I like that, that Ukrainian piece of me that, that was supportive and strong and resilient and courageous, and I wanted to identify with it. Oh, they're so beautiful. Uh, do you do you plan to like not to use, but it, it will kind of like educate your creative side? Like, do you want to do like a movie about that, or you know, star in a film, or any projects which will tell the story of Ukraine? I've been asked to do that already, and right now it feels to me in this acute phase of the war, the most important thing to do is to help. And it's, it's not to tell stories right now. It's um, If telling stories it makes people want to help more, then yeah. But my impulse now is, is on more practical concerns. And besides, I'm too tall to play Zelensky. That's what they offered you? Okay. <laughs> no, they didn't offer me that. No? No one offered no? me that. Uh, okay, so... No, but um, someone wanted to make... Uh, uh, I've had friends who wanted to make documentaries and who wanted to who wanted to get uh, stories out, which I think is a good idea to get stories out. And that's another initiative that we're thinking about as part of our group. Um, um, uh, and uh, But it's a separate thing from Blue Check. Blue Check is really about providing a conduit between people who want to help with humanitarian aid only and, and the people who need it and are delivering it on the ground in Ukraine. Do you think... Ukraine will win, how long it will last? I know those questions are hard to answer, but how you feel and what do you see? I think they'll win. I do. I really do. I think it's just a matter of time and we have to hold on. And we have to we have to um, continue to support each other. And I think we have to stand for our values and our principles that are humanist values and principles because those are the ones that win. Those, that's the idea that wins. That's, that that desire uh, for freedom is what defines us as human beings and liberty and the opportunities that we've been afforded as Americans and that uh, the Ukrainians are asking for themselves. Is is um, It's just the right side of history, in my opinion. That's actor Lee Schreiber speaking to my VOA colleague in the Ukrainian service, Tatiana Kaprowitz.
You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Miller. Medica Poland has been one of the busiest border crossings for people fleeing the war. Refugees have streamed across the border where volunteers are standing by to help. Julio Riera visited that site. Thousands of international volunteers have traveled to Poland to assist Ukrainian refugees crossing the border and waiting in makeshift camps before heading to other cities. 19-year-old Xavier Gilbert, who's originally from Barcelona, traveled by car from Spain to Poland with his aunt. In Medica, they distribute supplies that they gather using Instagram. Family, friends have given us clothes. There are people who sent us money. Also, he helps refugees by finding transportation for people who want to go to Spain or somewhere else in Europe. It could be France, Germany. Volunteers like Xavier are not the only ones who are using social media to raise funds to help Ukrainian refugees in Poland. Concerned about the situation of vulnerability faced by the refugees, these Spanish university students decided to create an online initiative. They travel to the Ukraine-Poland border and are giving families food and drinks. Seeing our families arrive with nothing, with bags, and our mothers do everything to keep their kids happy, it has had a great impact on us. In addition to supporting the refugees who arrive in Medica with the donations obtained through Instagram, volunteers are also trying to help those who emigrate to Spain. Get transportation for families, get apartments in Barcelona. From getting them access to food and a phone, to arranging transportation and answering questions, volunteers are making the lives of refugees crossing the Ukraine-Poland border just a small bit easier. For VOA News, Julia Riera, Medica, Poland. Polygraph.info explains why a recent Russian claim about organ harvesting is misleading. Broadcaster Spotnik said, quote, hundreds of medical files found at the Red Cross base contain information on children's healthy organs with no indication of any illnesses. That is misleading. It's possible the records, if authentic, were kept for legitimate purposes. And the International Committee of the Red Cross said it has, quote, not collected any such medical records on children. A video about the records, quote, also insinuates that the ICRC is involved in organ trafficking, the Red Cross said. Quote, this is another unequivocally false allegation. Russia's RT also claimed that in the Red Cross office were instructions on, quote, how to use weapons, including in a format intended for children. But the Red Cross said these were publicly available manuals on code how to identify and safely handle unexploded munitions. The manuals are published to code elevate the suffering of the civilian population in armed conflict, the Red Cross said. Russian propaganda has regularly featured disinformation alleging organ harvesting since Moscow first invaded Ukraine in 2014, seizing Crimea. Polygraph.info is a fact-checking website that's produced by The Voice of America. The website serves as a resource for verifying the increasing amount of disinformation and misinformation being distributed and shared globally. After Russia invaded Ukraine, a Ukrainian NGO organized a shelter for women refugees in the western city of Lviv, where a local businessman donated his office for a shelter. 
Women with children stay there for a few days before continuing their journey on to Spain. Anna Kostuchenko has that story. The shelling was massive. Bombs or whatever it was, they would drop straight from planes. I started shouting, Yulia, Yulia, and then I heard her say, I'm alive. During Russian shelling of Mariupol in early March, a bomb hit the apartment of Tatiana, a Russian-speaking city resident. I heard someone shout in the basement, a bomb has hit an apartment on the eighth floor. It turned out to be ours. We didn't even go up to see it. We just spent the next six days in the basement. The only thing we have left to remind us of home is the keys to the apartment. Since early March, attacks by the Russian military have intensified, and Tatiana quickly realized that although she had lost her apartment, she could still save herself and her family. We knew we had to get out. I had a broken leg, but still I was running fast, because I knew I couldn't afford to stay behind. Tatiana says Russian soldiers did not allow people to leave Mariupol to go to other cities in Ukraine through the humanitarian corridors, but instead forced Mariupol residents leaving the city to travel to Russian-occupied territories. We knew they were taking people to Volodarsk. It's either the so-called Donetsk Republic or already Russia, I'm not sure. But why? We wanted to stay in Ukraine. Tatiana did not want to go to Russia even for free. Instead, she spent all her money to hire a car and go to Berdansk. Their volunteers helped the family get to Lviv, where Ukrainian women's rights activist Lubov Maksimovich organized a shelter near the train station. Our shelter opened on the second day of war. Maksimovich has been fighting for women's rights for almost 25 years. During this time, she has started many initiatives to help women on their career path. But since the start of the invasion, Maksimovich has been supporting women in a different way. I have a project called Economic Security for Women. I contacted women who we were working with on this project and who were preparing to start a business, and I told them about my idea to start a shelter. One Lviv businessman agreed to give up his office for the needs of the shelter for displaced women with children. I called him and said, Alek, because of the war, I need a space where I can accommodate women. And he said, I have an office. Come and see. Since the start of Russia's invasion, over 250 women with children have found refuge in this pop-up shelter, where they are given free hot meals and psychological assistance if they need it. Ukrainian refugees are still at risk from being victimized by human trafficking, says Lubov Maksimovich. An ongoing war creates a huge risk. People do not know where they are going. Some do not have enough documents with them. To protect women from human traffickers at the border, volunteers are organizing centralized routes to Spain, where locals are waiting for Ukrainian women. They have an agreement between the Ukrainian Women's Consortium and the Huelva community to create a shelter for women with children. There, women are offered temporary accommodation or even refugee status. But most of them, around 90%, apply for temporary residence only because they want to return home. On average, women spend about two, three days in the shelter. Then most of them continue their journey abroad. But Tatiana is in no hurry to leave Ukraine. 
Anna Kostyuchenko for Voice of American News, Lviv, Ukraine. And this has been a special presentation of VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. On behalf of the entire team, thank you for listening. Be sure to stay up with the latest developments on our website at voanews.com. Until next time, I'm VOA's Steve Miller. Good night. This is the voice of America. Washington, Papa, Pose, DC.